I'm Dr. Stephanie Martin, Maternal Fetal Medicine Specialist and Medical Director at Clinical Concepts and Obstetrics. Today we're going to talk about diabetic ketoacidosis, DKA, in the pregnant patient. So what is DKA? I like to use the acronym DKA to talk about each point that you need to have the diagnosis. And the first is D, which stands for diabetes, or elevated serum glucose. So everybody with DKA has an elevated blood sugar. The question is, what level is diagnostic for DKA? And there really is no level that says this patient has DKA. But it's important that a patient have an elevated glucose, and you'll understand more in a little bit when we talk about the pathophysiology. In pregnant women, diabetic ketoacidosis can happen with blood sugars below 200. In the non-pregnant patient population, DKA rarely happens in that situation, and blood sugars tend to be much, much higher by the time the patient presents with DKA. Now, the second thing that you need to diagnose DKA is K, which stands for ketones. Now, we're talking about positive ketones in the blood, so a serum sample is positive for ketones. As the patient develops ketones in the blood, they will, of course, be spilled over into the urine, but you can have positive urine ketones and not have significant levels of serum ketones. So we're going to be focusing on positive ketones in the blood. You can use whichever ketone your, your lab offers. You don't really have to think about it too much. There's three ketones that can be measured. Most labs just measure two, either acetone or beta-hydroxybutyrate. So you can order serum ketones or you can order serum acetone or beta-hydroxybutyrate. It doesn't really matter. The presence of either one of these ketones is significant to say that the patient has positive serum ketones. So we've got elevated glucose with the D, positive serum ketones with the K, and now A is acidosis. And this one's a little bit more tricky, right? Because for this one, everyone thinks, oh, I've got to have an ABG in order to diagnose acidosis. Well, many of you have probably managed pregnant women with DKA and not gotten uh, an ABG, and you may be wondering why. Well, there's a couple of reasons. But first, we can categorize the acidosis into three different degrees, mild, moderate, and severe. So mild DKA is when you have pH that's less than 7.3. Uh, anion gap is greater than 12, bicarb is less than 15, and your base excess is minus 4. Now, as your pH worsens and your bicarb gets lower, then the severity of the acidosis uh, worsens or increases. Now, the anion gap, you might remember, is the difference between your positive and your negative ions. Don't worry about how to calculate it. Just understand the concepts here. And we're going to talk a little bit more in a minute about why bicarb levels matter. Now, let's talk about how DKA actually develops. So the reality is that DKA can develop at these lower blood sugars because it's not about a specific blood sugar measurement. It's about a relative lack of of insulin, a relative lack of insulin. There's, there may be insulin present, but it might not be enough for the patient to be able to do what needs to be done to lower her blood sugar. So what does insulin do? Insulin's job is to bring glucose out of the serum, out of the blood, and into the tissues. Tissues can't utilize gluco glucose without insulin. So if you don't have adequate amounts of insulin, glucose is going to remain in the circulation and your blood glucose will be high. This high blood glucose level in the blood acts as an osmotic diuretic. 
Think of mannitol. You may be familiar with giving mannitol to reduce cerebral edema. Mannitol is sugar, essentially. So when you have high levels of sugar it pull in the blood, fluids from the tissues get pulled into the circulation and then peed out. And the same thing happens with DKA. High levels of sugar pulls fluid from the third space into the vascular space, and it gets peed out. But they're not just peeing out fluids. They're also peeing out electrolytes, potassium, sodium, phosphorus. As the patient is peeing out more and more fluid, then what happens is the, the blood becomes more concentrated and your serum osmolarity increases. Because the tissues don't have glucose to use, because remember, even though their blood sugar is high, the tissues can't use it because there's not enough insulin to help with that effect, the tissues are starving. And because they're starving, they're going to start creating glucose so the liver is going to start making glucose, breaking down glycogen, making glucose, that's gluconeogenesis, and breaking down fat. And all of that results in the release of free fatty acids. And this is where acidosis comes in. These free fatty acids get oxidized and turned into ketones. Those ketone bodies are what we're assessing in the blood test that we draw. Now, when the body starts encountering these ketones, the ketone levels are going up, and it's going to attempt to neutralize this. So they get neutralized by bicarb. So bicarb is being sucked up and neutralizing all this, this acid that's being formed and getting excreted out in the urine. Bicarb's getting used, and the acids are getting taken away and excreted out in the urine, right? At the same time, hydrogen is being developed, being formed, and the body is going to try and protect from that hydrogen in addition to neutralizing it with bicarb. So you start getting a one-for-one trade-off. Since hydrogen is a positive ion and potassium is a positive ion, the body is going to start sheltering the hydrogen in the cells, pulling it out of the circulation, hiding it in the cells, but it's got to swap it out for a potassium. And so potassium leaves the cells and enters the intravascular space. And then you lose even more potassium through the diuresis that's happening. The bottom, the bottom line, the net result of all of this process that's all happening si simultaneously is you end up with elevated blood sugars, acidosis, low potassium levels, and hypovolemia. So all of our treatments are going to be aimed at reversing these processes and addressing these four things. Hyperglycemia, acidosis, low potassium, and decreased volume. So how are we going to do that? The number one absolute must-do is replace insulin. So you're going to be giving this patient insulin because even if they're taking insulin or they have adequate insulin in their body, or they don't have adequate insulin, or if they have insulin circulating, they're going to need insulin in order to reverse this process. Whatever they have is not enough to, re to reverse the process. They must be getting insulin. That's going to result in lowered blood sugars. And as the blood sugars get lower, this volume loss starts to, to slow. They stop peeing out as much fluid and electrolytes. We're going to correct the low potassium. And we're going to be cautious about this because remember that the serum level of potassium is falsely 
elevated. And that's because we've taken hydrogen out of the circulation, put it into the cells, and taken potassium from the cells in an even swap and put it into the circulation. Now, as we start reversing the process, hydrogen is going to come out of the cells and into circulation, and potassium is now going to go back into the cells, intracellular, which means the serum levels are going to start to drop. So the patient may have a normal or near-normal potassium level, but as soon as you start fixing this process, giving them insulin and reversing everything, serum potassium levels are going to drop. You need to anticipate this and be prepared for it. If your patient already has a low potassium level when she presents with DKA, expect her potassium level to go even lower, and she may be at risk of arrhythmias and need to be monitored. We're also going to be correcting volume depletion. Now, these patients are profoundly volume depleted when they present. They're going to need many liters of fluid to correct this depletion, and that's going to happen over a period of hours and days. All of those things, replacing the insulin, correcting potassium, and correcting the volume, will result in resolution of the acidosis. So the acidosis is going to fix itself when you stop the process of anaerobic metabolism. When you give the, cell, the cells and the tissues uh, uh, glucose that they need, then they're going to stop making it and stop making free fatty acids and stop making ketone bodies. So the acidosis will go away. We're not going to be giving the patient bicarbonate to correct the acidosis. We're going to correct the acidosis and let it fix itself. We're going to correct the insulin deficit, the hydration, and the potassium and let the acidosis fix itself. But the key ingredient is insulin. So if you've got a patient with DKA, you've started her on insulin, you're giving her fluids, you're giving her potassium, and now her blood sugars start to drop. And they start to get in the low 100s, maybe even upper 90s, and you're very tempted to stop the insulin. You can't stop the insulin too early or we're going to go right back into the same process we just fixed. You've got to keep the insulin going to fully correct the process. And we keep the insulin going until all their serum ketones are cleared. And then their acidosis should be resolved at that point. So instead of stopping the insulin at that point, what are we going to do in order to keep that insulin going? We're going to give sugar. And that may mean supplemental uh, in the IV, D5 or D10. It might mean letting them eat or both, but we're going to do something to make sure they have adequate amount of glucose so that we are not tempted to stop the insulin. The key ingredient in treating DKA is insulin. So I hope that helps you understand kind of what's happening in, with your patients with DKA and why we do what we do. When you think back to the very beginning when I defined acidosis and I said worsening le levels, lowering levels of bicarb indicating worsening severity of acidosis, I hope that makes a little bit more sense now. As you start making hydrogen ions with the acidosis effect, you're going to start using bicarb. It's a buffer to neutralize, neutralize the hydrogen ions, to normalize the pH. But they can't keep up, so they start getting lower and lower and lower levels of bicarb. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I hope you learned a little bit more about DKA. Until next time. <laughs>